Let us pray. God, uh, as we have worshipped you in song and through song and with songs and music, help us to continue to worship you with our minds, with our hearts, with our spirits, with our souls. Help us to never, in fact, depart from a disposition of worship, of loving you, of giving you the praise that is rightly yours. You have been so good to us. We are grateful. Help us to be attentive to you as we read from your scriptures this morning. We earnestly ask that you would be at work through your spirit and your grace and your power, helping us grow and grow up to mature us, to shape us into the likeness of your glorious Son, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. A few questions this morning to begin, and frankly, these questions may be more about my story than your story, just to be honest, I'm not sure. But uh, do you ever feel rushed? <laughs> Got to get on with it. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> do you ever feel hurried? Is your life always hurried? Was it frantic trying to get here this morning? Do you ever feel like your life is too busy, like, like you just don't have enough time to get done what you need to get done, what you must get done, what you want to get done? Do you ever feel like your life is out of control because there's so much on your plate, so many deadlines, so much that is already piled up behind you that you have not done and so much that you have to do today, tomorrow, this week? Do you ever not get enough sleep because you don't have enough time? Might more rest be good in your life? Amen. And in the busyness of life, when things get squeezed out or shortchanged, has it ever been your experience that what gets squeezed out first is your own life of reflection, the life of your spirit, the practice of you following Jesus and your life with God. If you have ever answered yes to any of these questions, the scriptures, good news, have much to say to you, to us. We're going to look at a lot of passages of scripture this morning, so get comfortable. The Bible begins with Genesis chapter 1, telling us about six consecutive days on which God created everything that is. And then in chapter 2 of Genesis, we read this. Listen closely. This is the Word of God. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy or set apart or sanctified, different, unique, because on it he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. God worked for six days creating everything that is, and then God rested. 
The Hebrew word translated rest there is Shabbat, from which we get the English word Sabbath, which literally in Hebrew meant to stop or to cease doing something. And in this context, it was to stop working, to cease working, to be done with work. What did it look like for God to get tired, I asked myself. How hard or difficult or complex? And in our age of science, we know now the answers to those questions. Must creating have been? I don't know how God rested. I don't know how exhausted he was or what that looked like. If he created a lazy boy recliner, put his feet up took a nap, the scriptures don't tell us. Fast forward now to the second book of the Bible, to chapter 20 of the book of Exodus, where we first read of God giving Moses what we call or we know now as the Ten Commandments. And the fourth of those commandments reads like this, from Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember that rest day by keeping it holy as it was declared by God in chapter 2 of Genesis. Set apart, different, unique. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your lands. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, that seventh day, and made it holy, unique, set apart, different. What God had done, in other words, rest, God also commanded for those made in his image or his likeness. What God himself did, God also decreed. Work for six days, then take a day off to the Lord your God. Work for six days, and then everyone stops. You stop, your children stop. Your employees stop, your domestic help stops, the people who wait on you must stop. You shall have no part in causing people, including foreigners residing in your towns, to work seven days straight without a break, period, because the Lord blessed the stop day and made it holy. The Lord made a a day of stopping holy. The Lord made a day of ceasing holy. The, door, the, day made a lower, the Lord made a day of rest holy. And there's every indication that the Hebrew, Hebrew people took just as seriously this fourth command as they did the other nine inscribed on the tablets that Moses brought down from the mountain of Sinai after meeting with God. And many more traditional, as many, and many more traditional people continued to do that today among the Jews. But that hasn't always been the case. It hasn't always been the case for all of God's people. The prophets, and particularly the later prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, spoke of how the people of Israel had forsaken the Sabbath, how they had in so many ways completely ignored this decree of God. And Israel's turning back, turning their back on God, of which Israel's forsaking the Sabbath was a part, were among the several or many reasons that God allowed the Assyrians to conquer the northern empire, Israel, and then the southern empire, Judah, with them all being taken into exile in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. The people of God, chief among their sins, had been forsaking the Sabbath. 
according to Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But then over time, the pendulum swung the other way. Many of the Jewish captives returned from Babylon and being allowed by the grace of God to return to their former lands, they resolved not to make the same mistakes that they had made before. And chief among those mistakes they vowed to not again make was violating the Sabbath. Consequently, over the several centuries after the Jews returned from exile, which corresponded to the several centuries before the coming or the advent of Jesus... Jewish religious authorities crafted meticulous regulations detailing exactly what they considered permissible and not permissible on the Sabbath. In the process, however, they went from ignoring and abusing the Sabbath to imposing an oppressive legalistic observance of that day, beginning with the fourth of the Ten Commandments that we read earlier, the religious leaders of Israel specified 39, 40 minus 1, 39 different areas of action that henceforth would be prohibited on the Sabbath because such would be construed as work which was prohibited and those things included sowing, plowing, reaping, gathering into sheaves, threshing, winnowing, cleansing, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, and so on. These were among the 39 different macro categories that could be considered or construed as work and thus were prohibited. And of these general areas of life and activity were further broken down several hundred different things that a conscientious, law-abiding, good and faithful Jew could not do on the Sabbath, lest he or she violate that law. For example, and this is just one of literally hundreds of examples, the prohibition about tying a knot was much too general, and so it became necessary to state what kinds of knots were prohibited and what kind of knot was not. It was accordingly laid down that allowable knots were those that could be untied with just one hand because maybe that wouldn't be work. Under such very strict definitions, it would have been considered work today to be a fan of the San Francisco 49ers, because it is like work trying to watch one of their games this season. (laughs) Is it true? Into this context of this extreme understanding and enforcement of what it meant to keep the Sabbath and to faithfully obey that part of God's law, along comes Jesus into that context. And Luke tells us that Jesus sort of launched his public ministry by going into a synagogue for worship on the Sabbath day, on a Sabbath day as was his custom, Luke tells us in Luke 4. And being handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, Jesus stood up and read aloud, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or grace. 
It's good news rather than bad news. It is hope in the place of despair. It is freedom rather than bondage. It is salvation instead of condemnation. It is grace more than law. Jesus declares on the Sabbath in the synagogue, and he says, today in him, Isaiah's prophecy was beginning to be fulfilled. And that ends up being the way Jesus so often operated. He announced, declared, unveiled, proclaimed on a Sabbath day, and then he lives that out. Jesus healed more people on the Sabbath day than on any other day, though his doing so upset to no end those overly religious Jews, chief among whom were the Pharisees who had become convinced that the people of God, if the people of God were good enough and kept every jot and tittle of the law, that then God would rescue them, that then God would free them, that then God would finally send to them a Messiah who would save them, a Messiah who, as it turns out, was already there in their midst saving them through his message, a part of which was a new understanding of Sabbath. Jesus healed more people on the Sabbath than any other day of the week, and one can't can't help but think that that was intentional, that that was a part of God's plan, but the religious leaders didn't like that. Eugene Peterson points out, Jesus spent a good deal of time at odds with people who had wrong ideas about keeping Sabbath. They spent a good deal of time following around Jesus trying to implicate him in gross violations of the law, but not God's law, their laws. We read in the second chapter of Mark's gospel, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some As his disciples began to uh, walk along, they began to pick some heads of grain, which the Pharisees considered to be work, and so a violation of the Sabbath. The Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they doing what is unlawful, their laws, on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, have you ever never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, David entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. They were hungry. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, his favorite way of referring to himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath, has dominion over, is king of, and redefines even the Sabbath. In other words, the kingdom that Jesus came to usher in and the kingdom of which Jesus is king. The kingdom of freedom and hope and grace and salvation was an active reality just as much on the Sabbath as on any other day and maybe even more so, Jesus implies. Why? Because Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and this is key. In the Pharisees' minds, keeping Sabbath per the fourth commandment, was a law for man to keep, another rule for us to adhere to, a cross for us to bear. But Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, flips this idea on its head. The Sabbath, he said, is for man. It is grace. It is grace. In many of our minds, I suspect 
the word Sabbath has very religious and negative overtones. It's about rules. It's about what we have to do. It's about being good. Not unlike how many of us thought as children, and some may still think about going to church on Sunday morning as if obedience to this ancient tradition is drudgery that one must simply endure. We are duty-bound to keep the Sabbath. It feels very religious. But what if the Sabbath is not something that we have to do? But what if the Sabbath is something that we get to do? Again, are you tired? Are you hurried? Are you lacking time in your life for reflection and contemplation and time with God? Do you have space in your life to hear the voice of God and to know the love of God? What does your soul need more than anything today? What does your spirit need more than anything today? Jesus practiced Sabbath by going to synagogue on the seventh day along with the rest of his culture, God's people, for prayer, for listening, to hear God's word, to worship together with God's people. And Jesus practiced Sabbath by periodically removing himself from society and from people and the crowds and from noise in order to be alone with his Father in quiet places to slow down and to stop and to cease and to pray and to listen. We see this throughout the Gospels. But do we in the way of our teacher and our master and our Lord do the same? I stopped by McDonald's this morning early to get a cup of decaf. McDonald's doesn't exist to give us good food or even inexpensive food, but rather to give us fast food. Is it right? Because we live in a hurry. Our lives are incredibly full. McDonald's fast food itself wasn't even enough, and so the drive through had to be created so that we could consume our meals in our minivans just as God intended. <laughs> Computers and technology and smartphones were supposed to change our lives and make things easier and lessen our workload and make room for other things, make more time in our lives for rest and for recreation. Maybe more time for relationships and reflection, but it seems that somehow the exact opposite has happened on our watch. There was a time in American life and history when society slowed down one day a week, when people slowed down, where there was an entire day for rest and worship and family and naps and reflection and prayer. But that time is gone, and if we hope to recapture any of that for ourselves, we will have to do it on our own. We will have to practice that on our own or as churches. We will have to take responsibility ourselves for this if it is going to happen. 
And now this message, as I was lining things up and figuring out when and where, seemed really appropriate today. As we enter what, for most of us, many of us, is the busiest time of year with Thanksgiving and Black Friday and now all of the buildup through not Advent so much as Christmas preparations and shopping and parties. And how ironic, we celebrate the birth of the Lord of the Sabbath by doing everything else but rest, by doing the opposite of stopping and ceasing. Is that not ironic? Advent was originally a time of slowing down, of reflecting more, of getting by with less, of giving more. And my guess is that were the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel alive today, they would have words to say about our celebration of Advent, about our culture's preparations for Christmas. And the point of their message would not be that we are doing too little. Their point would be that we are doing too much. Are you with me on this? Some of the other practices that we've talked about in this series in the way of Jesus have involved Jesus followers, his disciples, his apprentices doing additional things. But the practice of Sabbath or practicing Sabbath involves doing fewer things, slowing down, Saying no, stopping, ceasing, resting, listening. And we have choices about these things. We are blessed with choices and we choose to fill up our lives and our schedules with activities and commitments and wants and desires and have-tos and we end up not having time for the Lord or our own spirits, our own selves. We end up not having time for reflection and prayer and scripture reading and just being. Our teacher and master, Jesus, however, he got away. He stopped doing. His calendar was full. He had more to do than any of us. He had more demands on his time, more expectations, more clamoring, more invitations to dinner, more wants. There's a section in the latter part of chapter 1 of Mark's gospel where Mark writes these words, in the morning long before dawn, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a lonely place and prayed there. And you should read today everything that comes before that and everything that immediately follows that. The demands on Jesus' time are overwhelming. He is healing. He is teaching. He is caring. He is showing. He is leading He is healing, and in the midst of that, he slows down, he ceases, he stops, he practices Sabbath, he gets away, he removes himself from all of it. Jesus, echoing what we read in Genesis 2 in a remarkable way, says in John 17, toward the end of his life, shortly before his crucifixion, in his prayer to his Father that is so reflective, He says, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. He didn't do everything. He didn't heal every person, didn't visit every hospital, didn't perform every miracle that was asked of him. But he finished the work that God called him to do. We don't have to do everything. We can't do everything. We can't put everything on our calendars. 
We must do only the work that God calls us to do. And this kind of life is possible for us as well, if we want it. Since the first century, only small numbers of Christians have kept the Jewish Sabbath on this seventh day. And the people who are best known for that in Christian circles are the Seventh-day Adventists. As the church grew during its first and second generations, more and more people became Christians from non-Christian backgrounds. They didn't have the tradition of Jewish Sabbath, which began on Friday evening and lasted until Saturday evening. That wasn't a part of, hadn't been a part of the rhythm of their lives up until that point. And so many of them never embraced it. Instead, they adopted the practice with other Christians of gathering for worship on Sunday morning. It was the most important time of the week for Christians. It was the day and the time on which Jesus, the seminal event, rose from the dead, was raised from the grave. And so that became most Christians' regular time for gathering and eventually became known among Christians as the Sabbath though the Jewish Sabbath was always a 24-hour period from Friday evening to Saturday sunset. Nevertheless, whether one practices it literally Friday evening to Saturday evening as the Seventh-day Adventists and a few other Christians insist is the way that we must practice it. Whether one practices Sabbath that way or a different way, God calls us all into that practice and that life. And that looks a lot of different ways for different people. But Sabbath is available to all of us. Pastors have to find different ways of practicing Sabbath. Musicians and people who work and who run slides and who have other tasks associated with our gathering are called in different ways to practice Sabbath, but all of us can do little things that add up to big things that change our lives, that change the world, that change our relationships with God. One of the things that most of us can do is grab the remote and just put push off. The average American watches 35 hours of television a week. It's true. One of the things that we can do to Sabbath is turn that off. I was talking with John this week about Netflix binging, which is more and more common today. That is not Sabbath. Sitting on a couch in front of a TV for hours on end is not the kind of Sabbath that the Scriptures talk about. When everything stops and we begin to decompress and be attentive to God, and rest, and listen, and worship, and love. Turn off your TV. Turn off your phone. How many of you have intentionally turned off your phone and email and texting for 24 hours during the last year? Good for you. More of us should get on board with that. And let go and know that the world will go on without us. If God could rest, if Jesus could Sabbath, so can we. 
For many of us, we must, if we intend to do this, schedule silence and solitude into our lives because for some of us, that's the only way it's going to happen. We must say no to the things and people who want to get on our calendars. Say no to Sunday morning sports. Say no to other activities. Say no with love, but also with conviction and joy. And that may mean saying no to church things. I had a conversation with someone in the congregation a few years ago who had taken on so many responsibilities on Sunday morning that she said, I just need a Sabbath from church, not from the Lord, but from church for a season. And she did, and I agreed with her, and she did take that short Sabbath. And that was good. And we must be careful that the church doesn't put too much on us, that the church and good activities and ministry and loving other people and caring for our neighborhood also doesn't become so much work that we fail to Sabbath, as the scriptures call us to, to the Lord. And all of this is not because we have to. Take a deep breath, please. Inhale, exhale. It's not because we have to, it's because we get to. And God offers us this and calls us to this because God loves us. Think about this, those of you who have been parents. When you say to your child against the whining and pushback, it's nine o'clock, it's time for you to be in bed. Is, it, is that an act of a cruel rule-keeping parent? or of a parent who loves the child, who wants what's best, who cares for that child's well-being, knowing that rest is critical for the human body and the human spirit. And God, as that loving parent says, now's your time to rest. Do it. And we're like the little kid who gets back up and gets out of bed and turns on the light and gets back into the toy box. Are we not? And continues to busy ourselves with more things because we're addicted. And because for some of us, we think the world can't make it without us. Multitasking is not necessarily a virtue. Our elder board a year or two ago read a book called The Emotionally Healthy Church. Not too long ago, one of our elders said to me, why did you make us read this book? You're not even doing it. And she was right. We need to say no. We need to create boundaries. We need to make sure there is time in our lives for rest. Work, yes, six days. Rest, for sure, also. One without the other is crippling, but together, they organically work for us. And again, Sabbath doesn't mean being lazy or unproductive or managing one's time poorly. It means stopping one's work for one's own sake and for the sake of others around you and trusting God and paying attention to God. The version of the Ten Commandments in the book of Deuteronomy I read earlier from Exodus is more explicit about the benefits to others of our taking a Sabbath. Imagine if all of us agreed to not text and email and call one another on a certain day or a certain time, and we weren't compelled to reply to each other constantly from 6 a.m. till midnight and beyond. 
as we often do and are. And so however you choose to practice Sabbath in some way, somehow, regularly and often, for your sake, for the sake of those around you, for the pleasure and glory of God who waits for you, the Father of Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, find ways to practice this thing that Jesus practiced and in the way that he practiced it. And find ways that work in your life. Gordon MacDonald wrote, we need to build firewalls around our work or it simply will take over all dimensions of living. Is not that especially true in the Bay Area? I know lots of wonderful Christians who say to me, I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to be there on Sunday morning." It doesn't work in my calendar. I don't have time to spend alone with the Lord or in community. Marva Dawn wrote, A great benefit of Sabbath keeping is that we learn to let God take care of us, not by becoming passive and lazy, but in the freedom of giving up our fetal attempts to to be God in our own lives. Eugene Peterson wrote, Sabbath is the biblical tool for protecting time against desecration. It is the rhythmic setting apart of one day each week for praying and playing. The two activities for which we don't get paid, but which are necessary for a blessed life. I love that. And Leighton Ford finally wrote, Most of our human problems come because we don't know how to sit still in our room for an hour. Most of us do not do anything like that on a regular basis. But the scriptures call us to exactly that sort of thing. To sit alone with God, to be alone with God, to get to know the God who loves us. Not the God who has harsh rules for for us, but the God who has for us grace and love and freedom and hope and life. Let's pray. Help us to learn, God, from our Jewish neighbors who still find a way somehow in our busy, high-demand world to practice their Sabbath, a Sabbath, calmly and with joy and peace and refreshment. Help us, as the psalmist said, to be still and know that you are God. Help those of us who need help getting off of the wheel on which we are always running like gerbils, like hamsters. Free us from that and free us to yourselves. Free us from the lack of discipline to say no and to carve out time and to draw boundaries. Free us from the pride of thinking that we must do this or we must work harder or we must take responsibility for everything. We thank you for the gift of rest. We thank you for work that you have given to each of us. Help us to strike a balance 
that will bring to our lives and to the church and to those around us joy and refreshment and that will bring you glory. Help us. We need your help. In Christ the Lord. Amen. Thank you.